Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Every day, our world gets a little more connected but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, here for the second episode of the 2023 season. We're talking here after the final race on the two-mile oval at Auto Club Speedway. It was won by Kyle Busch. And to talk about it, I'm joined by the mayor, Jeff Burton, who just spent a glamorous weekend in Fontana, California. Jeff, thanks for being here. <laughs> it's great to be here. Uh, it was fun to be in Fontana. I mean, it was a great crowd on Sunday. I mean, for the weather, it was freezing out there. For the weather, uh, you know, it was it was a sold-out event. It was, I mean, we like to meet, you know, 90% of people in their seats all the time. Uh, it was a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. It was fun, fun atmosphere, fun to be there. I think certainly it was great to see the track sold out for the second consecutive year by my count. I think that was the 11th sellout for Fontana, a track that a lot of people talk about, hey, nobody goes there. There were some people there yesterday, and as you said, I mean, certainly some surprises with uh, the snow showers that we saw on Saturday, but I think the big surprise that everybody's going to take away from this race, Jeff, of course, Kyle Busch gets his first win with Richard Childress Racing. Even Kyle Busch said, Jeff, that he was surprised that the win came this early. Bob Parker's Fox Sports, I know you know you're good, but did you think you would challenge for wins, Clash, Daytona 500, and here right off the bat with RCR? Um, you know, truthfully, no, uh, I felt like there was going to be a little bit of a learning experience, a little bit of a growth pattern, but also on the flip side of that, I, I always just kind of looked back and watched some of their results and, and success that they had last year with, with Austin. He ran second here last year and, and Reddick was super, super fast. And so, uh, they were fast at the clash before they broke the eight car was, you know, so, um, it's just been really, really cool. And, uh, it's been a great piece of, we're making history, right? But a great piece of opportunity to uh, go out there and continue to, to win races at a new team with RCR. So I can't say enough about, um, you know, Austin giving me a call first and foremost, but then, uh, you know, Richard and Judy giving me this opportunity to go out here and, and, and race for wins. And i um, thankful to be a part of our, our Lucas Oil Chevrolet team today. Have you been surprised by how good Kyle Busch has been immediately at Richard Childress Racing? You know, I, I came into this year not having any idea of what was going to happen with this pairing. It's not because of lack of talent or anything like that. It's just how quickly could they get together. And did Tyler Reddick's stuff that he was so good with, uh, would that work for Kyle Busch? And what kind of adjustments, how long would it take? Uh, shows you how silly I am. They won a race in which they had no practice. They want a race in which they went in completely blind and just made it happen. And and that to me is the most fascinating thing is if you look at what they've done this year, they 
have had a chance to win every event. They were in position to win the, the, the clash. And I would say that they probably passed more cars than anybody else. They were in position to win the Daytona 500 and obviously in position to win yesterday. That's they're three for three for performance. I, they, they didn't get the finishes, but they're three for three for performances. And that, they, that is a ton to build on. And I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't care how confident you appear to be uh, as a driver. And especially when you haven't been having, when you used to having success and then you don't for a period of time, man, the questions start rolling in your head. And, and what am I doing? What am I doing wrong? What am I not feeling? What am I? And there's no way it doesn't unless you're just, you know, just so arrogant that you can look past that. Well, I don't think Kyle Busch is that arrogant. I think he truly was questioning what is it that I'm doing wrong? What is, am I part of the problem? And then to go three for three in my eyes in performance, I just think that's a, a, an unbelievable start for that team. And I think they're going to be really difficult for people to deal with the rest of the year. You know, Kyle said after the race, Jeff, uh, he told Fox that. I think it, it ranks high just because it ranks to the fact of I can do it. Uh, you know, I never doubted myself, but sometimes you do. You know, you kind of get down on it. You wonder what's going on and what's happening. And you put yourself in a different situation and uh, you're able to come out here and reward your guys. It's not about me always winning, but it's always about the guys. I've been with a lot of great people that have given me a lot of great opportunities in my career. So it's awesome to be able to reward them. Um, you know, so you're going to enjoy it for sure. And hopefully there's many more left to go. Uh, you know, we were just talking about, we, I'm looking at that Monster Mile Dover trophy behind you. That was your win in 2006 that I think came after a period in which you hadn't won a race in a few years. And Kyle Busch won one race the last two years. Oh, by the way, also extends this streak of consecutive seasons with a win to 19, which is an all-time NASCAR record. Just another big mark on his resume. How does a driver, you know, you've been through it. Kyle's been through it. What, what do you think went wrong for Kyle the last two years at Gibbs? And how do you get through that? Well, you know, he, he went through, uh, you know, a couple of different crew chiefs. Both crew chiefs are very talented people. Kyle's a very talented race car driver. I think a lot, you know, things just kind of get going down the wrong path and it's hard to get it turned around. And honestly, you can look back and not even know why. And that's what's difficult about it is, you know, what it, the most difficult thing about driving a race car, Nate, is finding a way to push through the bad times. And that's a lap per lap situation. And when you're watching it as a crew chief, as a, uh, a guy like me that's been around the sport forever, you can't watch that and say, the driver's the problem, the car's the problem. It, the, you've got this variable in there that no other sport has with the vehicle. And so a driver, when he's struggling, is not out there doing something intentionally wrong. He's doing what he believes is the right thing to do. And the team has set it up the way they believe the right way to set it up is, and it just doesn't work sometimes. And that's so hard to navigate through. And if you sit there and you say, as a driver, I'm me, that's how I'm going to drive. You got to make it work like that. That puts the team in a crazy box that it's almost impossible to work with. At the same time, if you're constantly compromising on, okay, I need to change this. I need to change that. Then what is your identity as a driver? And what is the team? What can they build around? It is, it is dancing on a razor blade and how much you should change and how much you shouldn't. And that honestly is one of the most difficult parts about being a, a, a driver because nothing stays the same. You know, you go to a racetrack. I mean, think about the number of times we went to Pocono, the number of races that were so close together. You know, we used to race in like six weeks apart. And you would go there the first time and be great and go there six weeks later and be horrible. New Hampshire also. So 
things are always changing and trying to figure that out and keeping keeping your base is the best way I know how to describe it. Like, who am I as a driver? What is it that I know I got to do to be successful? Relaying that information to a team. But when it's not working, it gets so difficult to figure it out. And look, Kyle Busch can wake up this morning. And I think this is really important for Richard Childress racing. I think it's really important for Joe Gibbs racing. Kyle Busch can wake up this morning and say, I can win races. And that doesn't mean Joe Gibbs Racing was part of the problem. It means that collectively they weren't doing as well as they needed to do. And RCR has immediately done it better compared to the last two years, right? Or maybe even three years. That's not a knock on Joe Gibbs Racing. It's an opportunity to say, okay, what is it that we could have done differently, not just to play it in reverse, but to look and say, how as a company can we get our drivers what they need? And how do, what do we need from our drivers to get them to relay to us the information that they need to be successful? It's a learning opportunity for everybody. And they'll all, take, they'll all treat it like that. But, but Richard Childress and, and Kyle Busch, they both wake up this morning doing, yep, yep, I knew I could. And uh, that, they'll be real dangerous. I'm glad you touched on Childress. And that's an interesting point about Gibbs, too, which I hadn't really thought about. They'd probably a wake-up call for them as well. But going back to RCR... That's another organization that you are intimately familiar with. You drove for them for several years. You won races for Richard Childress. And like, I can remember talking to you once, it might've been your fourth or fifth year at RCR. And sometimes you got frustrated that there's these notions that a bunch of guys just up in the woods of North Carolina outside Winston-Salem, just trying to race and no one really respected what was there. Again, you've got perspective on what it's been like for that organization. What's it, you know, we talked about the Kyle Busch side of it for the team knowing that they've won championships with Dale Earnhardt. They've won races with you and so many other drivers. But to go through the dry spell they've had, they've, they've won a few times last year with Reddick. They've won with Austin Dillon, but they haven't been that championship contender level. And now it seems like you can get back to that with Kyle Busch. I mean, what does it all mean for Richard Childress Racing? And how does the team survive those down years? Well, it's huge for RCR. I mean, Richard, you know, I talked to Richard before the race yesterday. Uh, I talked to Andy, Petr- Andy Petrie quite a bit and out at the Clash in L.A. They knew that it was perform time. They, you know, Andy told me, you know, Andy Vitri, the director of competition told me that there was a lot of pressure on them. They had Kyle Busch and you got to win with Kyle Busch. And he was feeling that pressure. And so it's great that they've been so fast early in the year. And I think it shows, I think it says to the industry, do not count Richard Childress racing out. And by the way, never count out Richard Childress. You think about the changes that that man has gone through in the sport and how many of the people that he used to race against are no longer in business or no, you know, and he has found a way to grind through it to, I mean, he has found a way and he's a fighter. He's street smart. He's a fighter. He's willing, he, he constantly invests in his company. Uh, he makes, he's willing to make that investment. And, and this is his life. You know, he doesn't make, you know, this is his business. This is it. He has some other businesses, but this is where the money comes from. And and he's done an incredible job of surviving. And it's great for our sport if he can get back to championship caliber, right? It's great for our sport that a guy like Richard can do that. And I think he can. I I, I just he has so much fight and so much grit. And and he just never quits. And he's put a really good group of people together. And if you work there, you recognize what's there. You recognize the opportunity to be successful. And he is underrated from a technological standpoint, from an, from an asset standpoint. They're way underrated 
and, and the, the tools and the pieces that they have. They just, they just, they have been for a long time and, uh, and, and they still are today in my opinion. And I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's a great story for NASCAR to have a team like that, that has such connection, especially to one of the greatest drivers of all time, Dale Earnhardt, to have them in the mix again. When we talk about Kyle Busch, Jeff, I want to ask you about racing with a chip on his shoulder. I think it was Tony Stewart who said this during the broadcast yesterday and who better to talk about this than Tony Stewart. Some drivers race better when it's me against the world. And it seems like Kyle Busch certainly is in that category. How do you think a driver does that? Because to me, it'll be easy to kind of get lost and feed too much off of anger or rage or whatever. But guys like Kyle Busch, guys like Tony Stewart, they seem to excel when they're in that position. How does a driver channel that, those types of emotions successfully? Well, I, listen, Kyle, I think Kyle Busch has raced his entire career with a chip on his shoulder. And I think Kyle and his brother, brother both, Kurt, I have had an unbelievable knack at being able to take things outside distractions uh, and put them aside when they get in that race car. I've always admired how they're able to do that. They just go to work. And when they're in that race car, anything else that's happening isn't happening. And they're able to just go back and focus on racing. I struggle with that as a driver. You know, my outside life sprinkled in. Uh, they seem to have a way to, to shut it off. And that's a that's a great trait because that's what you have to do as an athlete is shut it all off. And so I don't know that Kyle, so I, I disagree with the assessment of like he's now racing with a chip on his shoulder because I think he's always had a chip on his shoulder. Hmm. What he is racing with is this may be the first time in his career where he has to prove to himself that he can do it. Like this is the first time in his career where doubt has crept in. And I think that that is a bigger than, than a chip on his shoulder. You know, a chip on his shoulder, to me, it's internal. Like it's an internal thing with him just because of the performance. I don't think that he was mad at, at Joe Gibbs racing. I don't think he left Joe Gibbs racing in a fit of rage. I don't think he feels like that they underhanded him. I just think he got Delta hand that, you know, he, he didn't like, but I don't think he thought they, they were horrible people. And, you know, I'm going out to kick Joe Gibbs racing and, you know, I'm not that, I don't think it's any of that. I think it was, I got to prove to myself, I can do this. And so now, now there's confident Kyle and confident Kyle is way more dangerous than chip on shoulder. Kyle chip <laughs> on shoulder. Kyle makes a lot of mistakes, does a lot of silly things, makes a lot of silly comments, uh, does things on the racetrack that you shake your head and you're like, man, you're better than that. That's chip on shoulder, Kyle. Confident Kyle is he's going to put it in there and he's going to make some mistakes, but it's it's done not out of desperation. It's done out of trying to go have success. And there's two different, that's two different ways to look at it, right? And so I, I think confident Kyle is very dangerous and, and chip on shoulder Kyle, I think is dangerous for him. I think it's it's a negative for him. Confidence is is a positive for him. Yeah, that's well said. And those negatives certainly added up to uh, some booze over the years from the grandstands. You were there in Fontana. I was watching from afar. But what really stood out for me was the cheers that he got when he went and got the checkered flag. And the Audi Nation loves it. That was what we didn't hear there. Yeah. We didn't hear the boos we're used to hearing. That's right. That was a different tone. It's a good point. It reminded me a lot of Jeff Gordon 
late phase career Jeff Gordon, and you know the booze that he got early in his career when he won everything, that changed toward the end of his career. And even, you know, Kyle kind of noted this after the race. Yeah, it's, and man, Rowdy Nation's growing, bro. Loud and proud. Watch out. We're going to take over. Um, so it's just fun to uh, to see them and, and to give them something to cheer for again and to have an opportunity like today to win a race this early in the season, get everybody juked up and excited, and uh, also continue to hopefully you know, have more races like this uh, where we're able to win, get some of those playoff points, kind of um, stockpiling a little bit so we can have a, a, a good time at the end of the year. I'm sure some of this is, you know, about the fact that it was the last race on the two-mile oval. I'm sure some of it was fans might be mindful of the fact that Kyle's made this huge career switch and go to a different team. But what do you make of all of that, that it seemed like this was a more popular victory than Kyle Busch normally gets that reception after he wins a race? Well, so I want to be I want to be clear about something. When he got caught for speeding, the crowd <laughs> erupted in cheers when that happened. So, Good clarification. I mean, yeah. So like I was, you know, I watched the race race from the top of those infield suites and the crowd started cheering and I didn't know why. And I looked over and there was a big screen there and it was a speeding penalty for Kyle Bush. And I'm like, wow, they got loud. Like that they liked that he got penalized. And then yes. The contrast to that was when he won the race, they all cheered. It was like, it was very interesting to be there. It, it was like a Rocky movie, Nate, where they're cheering for, they're not cheering for Rocky, right? They don't want Rocky to win. And then by the end of it, they're all cheering for him. And something changed it, through the race. Something changed to where you had this massive amount of cheers for his failure and then a massive amount of cheers for his success. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to play uh nascar fan analyst from you know like i don't want to do that but something changed and and uh you know i don't know maybe it was seeing richard childress go back to victory lane maybe that pairing i think richard is viewed very favorably in the fan base and i think maybe that pairing and i think you know i think that kyle also showed some humility i thought he showed some humility and and wasn't that uh I'm glad y'all hate me guy. You know what I mean? He wasn't that in victory lane. And I think people yeah. warmed up to that too, but I don't know, man, like that, that thing moves, that thing moves so quickly, but, but there was a very positive reaction to him. And I, and I think he probably like, what, what the hell is going on? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Like, I don't want to get into the dime store psychoanalysis too much, but it was definitely different. I mean, Chicago 2019, we all remember, Kyle Busch crying his eyes out after he beats Kyle Larson in this fantastic finish. And there were certainly more booze that day. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it's, um, I, now listen, I'm not advocating for Kyle to be the fan friendly Kyle. I like it when Kyle's the antagonist, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think same here, that, same here. Yeah. I mean, our sport, we don't need robots. Yep. Like we don't need drivers that are trained to say the right thing all the time. And do, you know, like heck with that, man, we need, personalities we're all different as humans and we need to sh our, our drivers need to show that and be given the uh, the confidence from the sponsors and everybody else hey man be yourself like i i'm not advocating for kyle to just all of a sudden turn into to uh jimmy johnson you know never make anybody mad like kyle needs to be kyle and i think confident kyle it's easier for him to be it's easier for him to be himself when he's confident and i certainly Certainly, if you think about it from a career standpoint, is this the most confident Kyle has ever been? Because when you lose that confidence and you gain it back, it's like a double shot of it. It's like, ah, look at that, man. I got me some stuff now. Like it is a it is a double shot compared to when you're always confident 
versus when you lose it and you get it back. You know, Kyle right now may be as most the most confident he's been at any point in his career. And and by the way, why wouldn't he be? Like he has put that car in position to to win every race they've been in, and that's that's saying something saying a lot and obviously he had a really good car yesterday and maybe he definitely had the best car at the end but i think throughout the course of the race ross chastain was the other really good car he finished third but he led the most laps led 91 laps that was the guy kyle had to pass so two top fives jeff for track house racing and i'll confess i'll admit to it i didn't see this coming like i know ross chastain made the championship round last year but i just thought year two we might see a little bit of a regression and if anything track and again it's you know we're four races in really two points races but if anything it feels like track house racing has picked off right where they were last year but might even be better uh the, the start for chastain and suarez has been impressive yeah it really has been and I, you you have to know that going into this offseason for a young team the fear of coming out of the gate slow had to be there. I mean, only naturally, like, you know, cause you, you're doing well, Nate, you think, you know why, but you don't really. And when you're doing poorly, you don't really know why. And so you're always questioning yourself. Are we doing the right thing or what can we do better? It's just, you have to, you just have to. So for them to come out of the gate and not get knocked out by Hendrick and not get knocked out by Penske and not get knocked out by, you know, all the big teams, you know, saying, hey, man, we're here to stay. Like, it's really important for them because there, it, it would be only natural to think, okay, how are we going to continue this? How are we going to take what we did last year and make it better? And and they've done it. And and that that's really hard to do. Now, you're right. We've had two point paying races. So let's, you know, let's be careful uh, to, to not crown champions and, and just yet. There's a lot that's going to happen between now and, and the time the playoffs start. But uh, the start that they've gotten off to is, is really good. And that helps them because they're probably not doing everything they did last year. They probably made some changes and now they're saying, Hey, that was good. But again, let's don't downplay the no practice. Like that affected some cars and teams negatively. It helps some cars and teams. So uh, let's see what happens when we start getting into a more normal, normal schedule. I mean, that's a really good point. You can't overlook the fact that if there's practice, does Kyle Larson have the engine trouble he had? Does Chase Briscoe come out and just fall flat on his face like he did? I'm sure that some of these teams would have addressed some of those issues, you would think. Yeah, yeah. And and, and just performance, you know, just like, yeah. wow, we're way off. We're way off. We got to go over to what the, like for Briscoe, let's go to what the force got. Let's, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. It was, right. Because I know that in a perfect world, all the team cars are run the same speed. But they don't, and there's a reason for that. That they got different drivers in them, with things that they like or don't like. And typically, a team doesn't unload. You know, all of Hendrick Motorsports doesn't have the same setup. Like you know, some teams, you know, engineer, crew chief, they're like, no, we want to go this direction. And so, especially this time of year. I mean, you know, especially this time of year. So you go to California with something that you believe in and you're going to stick, you're going to stick with it most likely, or some people bailed. Some people went, Oh, that's too big of an experiment. We need to bail uh, and, and go to something that's more reliable. But yeah, although 20 minutes of practice doesn't seem like much, it still gives you some direction. And by the way, it's not enough. We, we, we can't have a series of practices for 20 minutes every week. I mean, at some point, at some point, um, and I know this controversial conversation, but at some point, we gotta we gotta have some some days where we have more practice. That that's that's just my opinion. There's some there's some value in 
in practice, not just for the teams and drivers. There's some value for the fans. There's some value for building up the energy for the weekend. Uh, I mean, we are the only major motorsports that is doing this. That doesn't make it wrong. Less practice is okay, but we've gone, <laughs> we've gone pretty far on one side of it. Yeah, it really stood out for the biggest race of the year last week where yeah. I, I was really scratching my head before the duels. Um, what would be the right number, do you think? Like an hour, well, two hours? Well, I, I, I think it's fine to do some races with 20-minute practices. I also think we need – you know, we need some events where you have a full, you know, full hour where teams and drivers and, you know, we got to remember this too, Nate, is we're also developing the next drivers. We're the only sport, except for golf, but major sport that you pull for a driver that's going to retire. The Dallas Cowboys aren't going to retire. And you're going to pull, if you're a Cowboys fan, although you may or may not like him as a player, you're going to pull for that quarterback. You're going to pull for that running back. You're going to pull for that wide receiver because they got the star on their helmet. Here, you pull for Kevin Harvick. You pull, for, and that's no disrespect to the owners. It's just, it, is, it, is, it is what it is. You pull for Chase Elliott, whoever it is. Well, he's going to retire, and he's going to be replaced by somebody. So we've got to find the more you practice and time you pull away from these young drivers, the more the less opportunity they have to close the gap. And that is a major part of our sport is finding – the next round of drivers. It's constant. Every, almost every year we have a driver leave. Not, you know, that's probably an exaggeration, but you know, we've got to have a way in which our young drivers are being groomed and they have enough time to be ready when that shot comes. It's really, really important. I hear you. And there were certainly some examples of some drivers who, younger drivers who have persevered uh, despite the lack of practice in recent years. You know, Corey LaJoy, he stuck out to me, ran top 15 consistently, uh, came back from some early trouble, finished 14th. Uh, you know, in terms of other underdogs, I think we saw some people run up the front. RFK Racing looks strong again. A lot of people talk, Jeff, about how this was the first race of the real season, as they say. And like you said, I don't know how much you can take away without practice and, and with Fontana sort of being a unique track. But who, what else stood out to you, uh, both good and bad among teams? I thought that uh, the Penske guys had good speed and they just for whatever, I, I'm not 100 percent sure what happened to Logano, but he lost some late in the race. Uh, Blaney had you know, he got you know, he got damaged. Cinder got damaged, so they had some good speed, but didn't get the results that they had hoped to get based on the speed that they had. Chase Elliott. You know, Chase Elliott, a champion, you know, running second is not great. It's a good sign because they really struggled toward the end of last year. That's good for them. Uh, Kevin Harvick, I'm just telling you, he's going to be dangerous this year. There's not a question in my mind he's going to be dangerous because Rodney Childers has so much respect for Kevin Harvick that Rodney Childers is going to be his the best he can possibly be for Kevin Harvick to have a chance to leave full-time cup racing with that, tro that big trophy. Rodney and Kevin are coming into this year super, super hungry. This is not the, hey, we're going to ride around retirement tour and wave at people and make friends. That is going to be the opposite of that. They are on tilt. They're on full tilt. Martin Truex. So I know he finished 11th, but he was two laps down at one point. He won the, he won the clash, didn't win a race all year, ran well last year. They had the wheel come off, but persevered and still had decent speed and came back and finished 11th. I mean, I know that again, it's not a great day for him, but then as we get deeper in the field, you know, Harrison, you know, the last third of the race, they had really good speed. They found, they, they came on with the top 15. That's an improvement for those guys on, on mile and a half for a young driver. Like we just talked about Chase Briscoe was a surprise, you know, that he just, you know, they just didn't run well. And, and I was there in person, so I'm not sure if they were having a mechanic. I don't know what was going on. 
but but they just didn't have the speed that you expected. So it was, you know, you mentioned Corey LaJoy. You know, he he was he was in a minimum of three incidents yesterday. I would, but but listen, two of them weren't his fault. I mean, you know, like yeah. racing happens. He was in there digging and fighting with them and showing people, hey, we're gonna we're gonna be up front. Clearly, they've got more speed than they had last year. Well, one of those incidents I wanted to ask you about, Jeff. I mean, that I think it was the biggest yellow in California Speedway history, like biggest number of wrecks involved in that restart crash. There was a lot of discussion afterward from drivers. People had tried to maybe pin it on Joey Logano and Joey Logano explained like, hey, the, the restart zone is longer now and it's going to be different for us to judge off of our fellow competitors and the cars around us, like when to go, when to slow, that's going to take up a little bit of adaptation time. What did you make of that? And the longer restart zone, I don't know if you have any insight into that for this year. Yeah. So, so I think that, I think Joey got it exactly right. I think Joey didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I watched the restart. He left in the, in the restart zone. Uh, the restart zone is longer this year. The, uh, most of the drivers wanted a, a bigger restart zone. So there he enters the restart zone, right? He's in the restart zone still. He just went by the first line. He hasn't gotten to the second line. And he just now is accelerating. There went the second line. So Joey just went late in the box. And everybody behind him was trying to anticipate when that start was going to be. This is a wreck that I've seen at California many times. Like, this is mm -hmm. not a new wreck. I've seen this this wreck. Um, I mean, Ricky Stenhouse and I were talking about it last night. He's like, I've been in the same wreck at California. It gets more <laughs> difficult. So the restarts get more difficult on the on the tracks that the drivers are all on the same straight and they can't see around so if you think about it like where we have big pileups we used to have them at indy all the time we've had them at pocono all the time new hampshire places like that because the drivers can't see if certain tracks are easier and you can see what's going on in front of you so we don't get these these pileups the restart zone um yeah i think it played a factor but I also know that I've watched this wreck many times before with all different kinds of restart zones and all different kinds of rules, lap cars starting on the inside. Like I've seen this wreck many, many times. So yeah, I think the restart zone was a factor and I do, I agree with Joey. I think there will be a trend, a, a learning time where drivers understand when is he getting toward the end of that box? Because all those lines look great. You know, they look great on television, but you can't see them. <laughs> I mean, when you're in row five, you don't know. I mean, you don't know what line you're on. So <laughs> I think some of that just, you know, it's just that it's restarts. So racing is, is fascinating to watch today because the whole goal is to get position on somebody and then mess him up, like just mess him up and find a way to get the air taken off of him, find a way to take his lane away from him. And that starts when you drop that green flag. I mean that when they go into turn one at California, there's many opportunities for drivers to do all kinds of different things, but you have to have forward momentum to do it. And that all starts in that restart zone. And so they're all anticipating a win to go because they want forward momentum when they get to that start finish line. So they then can make the move they want. If you're going backwards, then the people behind you are making the move on you. And so that forward momentum as you get to the start finish line is really important. And that's why we see these stack ups. Yeah. And unfortunately that's, Going to be the last one we see on the two-mile oval at Fontana. Yeah. Uh, we've seen some great racing at this track over the last 12 years. Didn't start out quite as great. You were there for that first race, June 22nd, 1997. You saw the scene then. You've seen the track's history over the years. I've said my piece on this. What's your take on California Speedway, Auto Club Speedway? It's history, two-mile oval. What's ahead in the short track? You know, you know, it's clearly they, they came out very confident. We're building a short track. You know, we're going to do it. 
uh, that kind of has wavered a little bit since. I think there's just a real analysis going on. I think we see a change in the sport starting with the opportunity. You know, think about you got Nashville, Marcus and his team have been really working really hard uh, to get Nashville up and running. Uh, I think that's going to happen in due time. North Wilkesboro, the clash at the Coliseum, the street race in Chicago. I mean, think about that. So there's a change happening in the sport. And the question is, do you have to own all these racetracks to put on races? And do, does not owning racetracks provide more flexibility to do things that's right for the sport at that moment? Because, you know, you and I are sitting here talking about uh, California putting on good races. Like if we had said that seven years ago, someone would have hit us like what? Like, yeah, so things always change. And if you have that opportunity to move the sport around and to take it different places and do different things, then you have the opportunity to put it where it needs to be at the given time in history that something's better than the other. And so I think that they're just looking at it in a, from a different perspective than ever before. And we have, you know, we have made, I've said it to you many times, I believe that our sport needs to be in as, as many places as possible. And that doesn't mean run as many races as possible. That means being in as many places as the right number of races for our series. And when you get locked in of saying, okay, we have to go to this track, we have to go to this track, we have to go to, then how do you do that? And so I don't know what's going to happen. I, I would love to see a short track built right there because not only could it be a short track for cup racing, it could be a short track for, for late model racing, for all types of racing, and we're losing racetracks. We're losing racetracks all over the country. So it would, I would love to see a racetrack go right there. Uh, uh, you know, what have they been talking about? A half to a three quarter mile racetrack. Like I would love for that to happen. I hope it does happen. But, but right now today, I don't know if, I don't know. I'm 50, 50 on whether the assessment gets done and they decide, okay, this is in the best interest of the sport. Or maybe they decide to, to sit on it. Maybe they decide to say, Hey, let's just, you know, kind of like what I feel like is going on in Chicagoland Speedway. Like, let's just sit on this thing. Let's see what happens and how does this fit in? And, and maybe that's the determination. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, uh, but I do know that we're at a point in our history where we're able to look back at some mistakes, some things that were done right. And then some mistakes that were made. We're going back to North Wilkesboro. We're going to, I'm convinced we're going to be back in Nashville. Yeah. Like, you know, so there's an assessment going on and, and maybe time's the best thing to make that proper assessment. Maybe the, the best thing to do is not just 100% commit to something. Let's see what happens with this next uh, TV deal. Let's see what happens with the new charter agreement. Let's see what happens. You know, where are we as a sport? I think it's an important market. But, you know, we talk about the L.A. market and we talk about all that. It's I feel like that's important, but I, I don't not smart enough to know if it's important enough to, to make that investment out there or not. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot happening. There's a lot that can influence these decisions. And these are big strategical moves that NASCAR has to consider and weigh and make. All that being said, in 2024, I think they're going to be at the Coliseum. They, I think they still have a contract. But is there a points race for the Cup Series in Southern California in 2024? And does there need to be? <laughs> uh, well, I, listen, I hope there's not a point race at the Coliseum. I just don't. <laughs> I, I just I just don't like that idea. That's just my opinion. I mean, I, I, I've been wrong about many things. I just don't think if you're going to have a point race, you, you, you can't, you can't have a point race and not have all our teams on track. That's not, that's not 
that's not good for our teams. I just don't like that idea. And I don't, so maybe there's some kind of format that you could create that everybody, I don't know, but we can get creative now more than we've ever done before. I don't know. I don't see us with a point race in Southern California in, in 2024, but that's okay. Again, like, why do we have to go the same places every year? Why can't we mix it up? And, and, you know, could we go to like a, a place like Kern or could we do something like that in California or is there a track somewhere else on the West Coast that we, I mean, we do go to Vegas and we do go to Phoenix. The the market we've never really gotten up into is Pacific Northwest. I mean, that, that, that area has, how do we get there? So I don't know. I mean, I, I, what's fun is we get to talk about it. Like, like we get to think <laughs> about it because 15 years ago, Nate, you and I knew where we were going next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all knew we just might, they might change it when we go and they might or something, but we knew when we were going. And now there's an honest debate about what's best for us at the moment. Uh, and then, you, so now you can look at long-term and this and in the moment, I don't know what's going to happen. And I, I think, but I do think there's, I, I think we could see a, a substantial schedule shift uh, for what our point races are because we had do have some new tracks, new slash old tracks coming back on. And we, we have the situation at California. I'm going to throw this one out there. I haven't heard anybody say a word about it. Not a word about it uh, as far as going back up racing, but they're paving Rockingham. Right. I mean, I, it, it feels to me like what happened at Wilkesboro could happen there still, right? I mean, the seed's been planted. I, yeah. I mean, who, who knows? I mean, I haven't heard, I mean, I've had heard no conversation about going back to Rockingham cup racing, but it's, it's, there was some funding there that the, the, the governor of North Carolina created. Uh, to help racetracks in, in North Carolina. And that's being used at North Wilkesboro. It's being used at Charlotte Motor Speedway. It's being used at short tracks all throughout North Carolina and part and, and at Rockingham. And Rockingham is being repaid. So I don't know. Could we end up there? I'd be fine with it. I would love to say, I mean, especially when you think about the last race there was one of the best races there and the tire wear and it's good racing. And I agree with you, Jeff. Like I lived through the era of NASCAR schedule rigidity when it was just, you said it earlier, Pocono twice a year, six weeks apart, <laughs> New Hampshire twice a year, two months apart. Th- that didn't work. And I'm glad NASCAR has reached this phase where there's more nimble thinking about where they should be, which is good. When I look ahead, as we wrap up here, Las Vegas is next. I would suspect we're going to see uh, something similar to Fontana. Maybe not the same racing, but certainly it's it's considered, again, part of the real season, a big test for the big teams. Who needs to have a really good race? I mean, it seems to me like Stuart Haas Racing, with the exception of Harvick, really comes out on its heels a little bit after these first two races. Yeah, I, th- I think Stuart Haas needs needs a, go- a good day. Um, their performance, I know we talked about, I, I know we talked a little bit ago, they didn't run that great, but their performance hadn't been bad. They just hadn't been getting finishes. This is the time of year where you see this massive flux, right? And mm-hmm. people finishing well versus not running well. I'm interested to see just, to me, the aggression level is pretty high. And it started at the Coliseum. It went into Daytona. It It's really aggressive here who's had enough you know what i mean like it, it it's i know it's early to be talking about that i'm not talking about paybacks or whatever but people just start saying okay i gotta make a stand <laughs> i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna be pushed around and yeah and i'm really interested to see see where that goes and this is the time of year of mistakes i mean that's right now you know tyler reddick kind of jumps out at me because we talked about kyle bush and the excitement and all the things that have happened with kyle bush well then, then we go back to tyler reddick they've yet to finish a, a race this year and so, and well, and you know, you leave, you leave the eight car and it goes and it 
runs really, really well, and you haven't been able to finish a race. Like, Great point. Yeah. How do you emotionally, how do you handle that? What are the people around him? Hey, man, how are they helping him navigate? Like, let's don't put ourselves in a position so early in the year that we're playing, you know, we're, we're like trying to do things that, that are out of our character. So Tyler Reddick, to me, stands out as a guy that, okay, you're watching the car you drove last year, do what it's done. You're watching what you guys have done. You haven't been able to finish the race yet. How do we address this? And let's don't react to it. Let's respond to it. Let's respond and, and make some whatever we need to do to, to, to perform, to, to get the finishes, to get a, get a foundation built underneath us. This is a long-term relationship. This isn't just about the first two races of 2024, 2023 rather. It's not about that. It's about what do we build to so when we get to the end of the year, we're in a position where we want it to be. And I think it's important for them to have those conversations to get the foundation built because they haven't been able to build a foundation yet. And, and that's going to be really important for that team. Great point. Certainly keep an eye on that number 45 Toyota. We started out talking about the guy who's in the car he was driving last year, the number eight Chevrolet, Kyle Busch. And we, we finished talking about what's next for Tyler Reddick. That is definitely going to be interesting to watch. Always interesting talking to you, sir. Thanks uh, for being here, Jeff. I know that it's a little bit of a slog getting back here to do this. And I always appreciate all of your time. The mayor, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Nate. We appreciate Jeff Burton for joining us on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks to motorsports manager Emily Conboy and senior associate producer Aaron Feldstein for coordinating the mayor's appearance and for helping with the recording. And thanks as well to producer Zach Catanzaretti for turning around some video clips from the podcast and getting them posted on NBCSports.com quickly after we finish taping. We are doing these over video conferencing, so you also can still hear and see the video version of the NASCAR and NBC podcast on NBCSports.com and via the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. That channel also is where you'll find a lot of motorsports content, both NASCAR and otherwise, including twice-weekly discussions with NASCAR and NBC analysts of some of the hot-button issues in the NASCAR Cup Series, so check out the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel for more. And as always, you can find more news, columns, and analysis on NASCAR Talk and Motorsports Talk on NBCSports.com. Please visit NBCSports.com NASCAR or NBCSports.com motors. This weekend, I will be heading to St. Petersburg, Florida for the season opener of the NTT IndyCar Series. Lots of content coming this week and this weekend on Motorsports Talk nbcsports.com slash motors. You can check out my reports from St. Pete. If you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send it to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected. 
but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.